Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn in God's Word to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 13, and it's found on page 1171 of the Church Bible. Mark chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Listen, this is God's Word. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. I learned this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, the city of San Francisco is waiting for the big one, a huge earthquake that is expected to have a massive impact on that city and on the surrounding areas. That's because San Francisco lies close to the San Andreas fault line, which has not seen a major earthquake for many years. And so as a result, there is tension that has been building up on this fault line. It's been increasing. At a time in the future, this tension will have to be released, and it will result in the big one, this catastrophic earthquake. But San Francisco has been preparing for this oncoming earthquake. So for the last 100 years, their building code has been very strict, particularly in the materials that they are allowed to use. They don't use brick anymore. They use only wood or metal, which allows greater elasticity, allowing buildings to sway rather than collapse. They have invested billions in their reinforcing their infrastructure, just like the Golden Gate Bridge, an icon of the city, so it doesn't fall. And people also are prepared and know what to do when this eventual earthquake comes. And it's that same intentional preparation that we are to have as we wait for Christ to return. So I want you to notice from this passage that you are to stay awake, for Christ is coming back to gather his people. Although you don't know when, you do know that you are to be ready. So firstly, Christ is coming back to take you with him. 
verses 24 to 27. Now Mark 13 is about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but it's also about Christ's second coming. And it's especially these verses, verses 24 to 31, that are the most difficult to explain. They could be referring to Christ's first coming and proclaiming of the gospel across the Roman world before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Verse 30 seems to suggest that when we read that this generation will not pass away until these things have happened, meaning Christ's first coming and the destruction of the temple would all happen within the lifetime of Jesus' audience. The other interpretation is that these verses are all referring to Christ's second coming. And it's this interpretation I'm going with this evening in this sermon. Verse 30 is explained is that the Jewish people will never pass away until Christ's return. They are secure as a people. And in history, we have seen that. Despite the odds, despite all the attacks, the Jewish people have continued to survive. And so although it is difficult to know which verses refer to which event, Jesus has intentionally entangled both these events together. And that's because we are to respond to these events in the same way. We're not to expect things to carry on as normal. We are to be ready. And for us, that is the coming again of Jesus Christ. Last week I was talking about 9-11. This was an event that was so major, so so catastrophic, that it transformed the world that we lived in. The optimism of the 1990s is gone, and instead society is continually captured by fear. Well, Christ coming again is going to transform the world we live in. It will never be the same again. And we read that after the tribulation, so after the persecution of the church, and the church has been persecuted for the last 2,000 years, there will be a sign in the sky for all to see. We read that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall, and the heavens will be shaken. And we read a similar language in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Will this be literal? Will there be a nuclear war? Will there be some kind of collision in the sky, a meteor that causes so much dirt and ash to be thrown up into the atmosphere, blocking the light from the sun and the moon? Romans 8 speaks of the creation groaning, and in the same way that the signs of the times are evident on earth by war and famine and and earthquakes, we read it also be visible in the heavens. Hebrews 12 speaks clearly of this. Hebrews 12, verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. While we can't be sure of exactly what is going to happen, we know that this darkness, this shaking of heaven, speaks of the judgment of God. 
all who are opposed to God will be removed. Verse 26, we read, then they will see the Son of Man coming. So notice Jesus is referred to coming as coming in the clouds. And we're not to think of this as Jesus floating down in the sky in a soft, white, pillow-like cloud. No, the clouds, they speak of his throne. He is a king, and he will bring completion to his kingdom. Jesus is returning. And he's not coming like a child born in an unremarkable circumstances. No, everyone will know when Christ returns. Everyone will behold that Jesus is the king. The other day, there was an anti-monarchy protest in Liverpool in England. Charles and Camilla had come to mark the library's twinning with Ukraine's first public library, the regional scientific library in Odessa. Well, there were 30 protesters present shouting, not my king, but they were drowned out by school children who were also there who were shouting, he's our king. Well, when Christ comes again, there won't be any questioning if Jesus is our king. They will know. There will be no protesting. Everyone will submit to the king. But we also see that while Christ comes to judge, he comes to gather his people to himself. We read of him sending his angels to the farthest corners of the earth to gather his elect, to gather his people, to gather his church together. Those who have been chosen, those whom Christ's work of redemption has rescued, they will be gathered together from this earth, protected from this future judgment. And so Christ is coming to take you back to himself. He is gathering his people. Now, the temple was the place where God's people gathered as one. But this physical temple has been destroyed And so we are to see Christ as the spiritual temple, and it is in him that we are made one. So we're to look forward to Christ's return when we will see him in all his glory, knowing that in him we are secure. Well, secondly, be ready for change as you see the seasons change, verses 28 and 29. Now, in Ireland, you can experience all four seasons in one day. In Indiana, you get a week of summer, so you have to turn the air conditioning on. And then the next week is back to spring, and so you're turning the heat on again. And so it's really hard to know when you have passed from one season to the next. Well, the fig tree is the clue to know when you are finally in summer in Palestine. And so Jesus teaches this parable, this lesson from the fig tree. Most trees in Palestine are evergreen, and so the fig tree stands out. It loses its leaves in winter, and its branches are bare until late spring. Then the sap starts flowing, the branches become tender, and leaves appear. And when the fig tree comes to life, you know that it is the summertime. And Jesus is saying, these signs of the time are a warning that this is going to happen. And they're not to scare us. It's not that you should be building an underground bunker to live in. No, these signs, they are signs for, uh, for you to see that a new season is coming. But the danger is we become obsessed with these signs, with the end times. 
And we see many Christians going down this road. They're completely enamored by it all. It's led to books, it's led to movies, all about the end times. Now, these signs are to be an encouragement for the believer. When you see the signs of spring, we find it encouraging. We look forward to the warmer weather. We look forward to the longer days, to less darkness, to being outside, to enjoy the fresh air. That is how you should be eager to see Christ's return. Sadly, we can be guilty of not wanting things to change, of being too content with this world, living for this world. No, your hunger should be for more. The brokenness of this world should excite you for Christ's returning, ushering in this new season when all things are made new. Scrivener says Jesus speaks of the power and glory of the Son of Man. The whole cosmos will be shaken. Yet all will reveal the one who is beauty himself, the power and glory of the Son of Man. Well, this is the goal. This is why John writes in Revelation, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want to see the glory of Christ. We want to see his kingdom completed. And so while Mark 13 is a passage that speaks of birth pangs, it speaks of tribulation, we're not to see this as a message of doom. No, this is a message of hope. It's a message of victory. For with birth pangs, we look forward to the birth of a child. And likewise, with the birth pangs that this world is going through, we look forward to this earth being reborn. When Christ comes again, when we see the King We look forward to there being no divisions, but this new season of coming together when all things are made new. Well, thirdly, I want you to notice you're to have confidence in Christ's words, verses 30 to 31. I mentioned this last week, but this prophecy that Jesus gives us here is to inspire our confidence in him. Throughout his ministry, Jesus prophesied about his death, about his resurrection, about his betrayal, by Judas Iscariot, by the fact that Peter would deny him three times and hear the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And Jesus prophesied in such detail, and it was for his readers, for you, to have confidence in him. He wasn't saying that this might happen. No, he was assured it would happen I was reading recently the section in the book of Acts of how Paul prophesied of the boat that he was traveling in to Rome would be destroyed and how it would be wiser to spend the winter in Fair Havens and travel to Rome in the spring. Well, he was ignored, but his word was found to be true. And by the end of this voyage, during the shipwreck, it seems that Paul is now in charge. That's because the sailors, the soldiers, the prisoners... They all respected him. They saw that he spoke wisdom. Likewise, Christ's words, they are to give you confidence. And so consider the promises that he makes. I will give you rest. I will build my church. I will come back and take you to be by myself. I will be with you. You're not to doubt, but you're to have confidence in him. We read in verse 31, you can have more confidence in Christ's words than even heaven and earth. One day, heaven and earth will pass away. 
That seems hard to believe. It seems like our earth is stable. Nothing will change. But nothing in this world is permanent. Nothing is forever. Except for Christ's words. Wilmer says, my words will never pass away. Only God can say that. Jesus does what only God can do. He says he is coming back. And he is. We don't know when, but he is coming. Jesus' words of prophecy are ones that you are to heed. You are to take them seriously. You're not to be surprised. For Christ's words are true. He's coming back. And know that after this tribulation, there will be victory. Well, fourthly, you do not know when Christ will return. Verses 32 to 33, Christ is coming back. He gives us these signs as a reminder of this fact. But beware of trying to guess when he is coming back. He does not give these signs of the times for you to work out the timing of his return. So don't see events like the war in Ukraine or rockets going up into space or peace deals in the Middle East as a timetable. No, things like that have been happening for the last 2,000 years. Jesus says that the angels do not know. The Son does not know. Only the Father knows. And this speaks of Jesus and his humanity, not knowing the time or date. And he's choosing not to know to emphasize that these are matters for God. Hughes writes, Jesus knows of the time of his return now as he resides in his glorified body with the Father. But when he was here, he did not know due to the integrity of his incarnation. So since Jesus as a man did not know, why would we even try and figure out the timing of Christ's return? It's blasphemous to work out the date of Christ's return. You're doing something that belongs only to God. And yet, working out the timing of Christ's return is sadly very common, probably most obvious by the Jehovah Witnesses. And they had predicted various dates that Christ would return. Each time, they're proven wrong. And I believe the last date that they gave was 1914, and they said that Jesus did return, but he did so invisibly, so no one noticed. Well, that is complete opposite of what this passage is teaching. And then more recently, Harold Kumping famously gave a date for Christ's return as 2011. Well, again, proven wrong. And it's nearly comical if it wasn't for the fact that so many people have fallen for this lie. And there's a reason why groups like the, the Jehovah Witnesses or Harold Kumping gives these dates for Christ's return. And that's because it's effective and drawing a crowd. It causes fear. It causes people to follow them, for they position themselves as the ones in the know. And the dates they give are always reasonably close. They don't say Jesus is coming back in 300 years' time. No, that wouldn't achieve anything. No, they do it out of selfish reasons to further their own cause. If we did know the date, if we did know when Christ would return, and it was many years away, what would it do? but it would only cause apathy and complacency. No, we don't know. And our confidence is to be in the word of God. You are to believe Christ when he says, no one knows the day or the hour. Anyone who says they do know, well, you can be sure they are wrong. And as a result, you should not be deluded by them. You should instead reject them. 
and you should tell others to reject them too. Well, finally, you are to be ready for Christ's return by keeping watch. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we do know he is coming back, and so you are to be ready. How are you to be ready? Well, you are to keep watch. And you see this mentioned three times in our passage. What does it mean to keep watch? Are we to be watching for the signs? Well, yes, we are living in the last days, but it's not so much that we are to watch the signs. No, the signs are simply a reminder of the fact that we are living in these last days. The Thessalonians kept watch, and because they were so convinced that Christ was coming back in their lifetime, well, they stopped working. They saw work as unspiritual. They thought they could just sit and wait for Christ's return. Well, Paul rebuked them for their idleness and becoming dependent on others. And so to watch means to be awake, but watching also means working. It means serving God. The opposite is sleeping. It's idleness. It's living as if Christ will never come back. And we see Jesus describe this as like the days of Noah in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 24, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so they were carrying on regardless in their, with their lives. No regard of when Christ would come to judge. The result was they were not prepared. Christ is coming back, and in the same way, he comes to judge. And so therefore, you must be living your lives. You must be ready for Christ's return by watching, ready for his return. That's evident in how you live your life. Ferguson says we are to live lives which bring honor to Christ. And Jesus gives a parable here of a man who leaves his house to the charge of his servants. This is very similar to Jesus' parable of the talents. Well, in this parable, the servants are not to be lazy. No, they are to work. They are to be ready for the return of their master who could come at any time. And so this parable teaches us that we are to see ourselves as servants. And the house is the church. The church belongs to Christ. It's not ours. He's given us authority to rule in his house according with his desires. So we're not to live in accordance with what we want. No, it is in accordance with what he wants. And in this house, we see the servants have different responsibilities. Specifically, it mentions the doorkeepers, and this is often interpreted as the elders of the church. They are to rule who can enter the church. They are to only let in Christ's flock. They are to keep out the wolves. But each one of us, we are to see that we have a role to play in this church. And only when each person carries out their task does the house run smoothly. Well, what keeps us together in our work? Well, the focus should be on the fact that the master will return. And so likewise, we are to remain vigilant for Christ to return. I can remember back at school when the teacher left the classroom for whatever reason, well, the class would soon erupt into pandemonium. But as soon as we were aware that the teacher was returning, we would all rush back to our desk with our heads down as if we were working 
the whole time. Well, Christ is coming back, but he will not be fooled. He sees more than a teacher, for he sees into our hearts. He sees if we're awake or if we're asleep. You are asleep when you think that Christ won't come back for a while. You're asleep when you want to enjoy what this world has to offer first. And that's evident in how you spend your time and your money. You're asleep when you think that you can get serious about Jesus later in your life. And so put it off. You are asleep when you won't let go of your secret sins. You are asleep if you're unwilling to say sorry to that person that you have hurt. You're not ready for Christ's return. To be awake is when you repent of your sin, when you live for Christ. Ferguson writes, the true fruit of anticipation in the life of a Christian is the quality of his daily work and the glory which surrounds his fulfillment of his daily duty. That is what our Lord expects us to be doing when he returns. So just ask yourself, What should I be doing if I knew that Christ would return tomorrow? Well, John Wesley was asked that question. He pulled out his calendar. He read the list of engagements he had for that day, saying, these are the things I would do tomorrow if I knew that Christ was returning. Well, you too, you are to continue being faithful to God and obedient to him. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus gave the church his orders. In Acts 1, we can read, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The very next verses report that the disciples just stood there, looking up into heaven, and two angels appeared, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. They're telling the disciples, get to work. We need to hear these words. We need to be watchful. Yes, this chapter speaks of tribulation. These are the signs of the times. You're not to be distracted. Instead, be watchful. Be busy in the work of Christ's kingdom, proclaiming his gospel. But this is not a burden that you are under. Remember, you are already secure, for lo, the temple is no more. God, the Holy Spirit, is within you, and he will enable you to keep going, for you know the victory that Christ has won for you, a victory that will soon be evident for all to see. Scrivener writes, Jesus is the true temple demolished. He's the head of creation taken down to the tomb. Yet from there, he rises. And for those who come into Christ, the safe house, the end will be summer, regeneration, gathering, the cloud of his presence, and the power and the glory of the Son of Man. So follow the signs of the time. The dark night, awash with blood, will give way to a glorious dawn. So stay awake. Christ is coming back to gather his people. And although you don't know when, you do know. And so you are to be ready. He will complete the work that he has begun. Well, I can tell that you're enjoying these birth pain illustrations that I've been giving these past few weeks. One more. 
What is it that a pregnant woman has ready, weeks, maybe even months before the baby comes? Well, she has her overnight bag ready. So when the pains of childbirth are upon her, she's ready to go to hospital and have her child. On that same manner, you are to be ready for Christ's return. You are to have your bags packed. There is nothing stopping you. There is nothing here on earth that you would prefer. Instead, you are to be ready to be with your Lord and with your Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we see in this passage. Forgive us, Lord, when we're often filled with uncertainty or fear when it comes to Christ's return. Instead, Lord, help us to see the victory that he has won, and one day he will make complete. Help us to have confidence in him, and so be ready for his return, evident in our devotion. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to keep watch, that we would stay awake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm book to Psalm 130a. Psalm 130a. The psalm speaks of tribulation, but we also see the psalmist's confidence is found in God. And in the psalm, we see the psalmist waiting on the Lord, more than watchmen waiting for the morning. Well, that should describe us, waiting on the Lord and ready for his returns. Let's stand and sing Psalm 130a.